You're listening to a podcast from the Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference. The seventh annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference took place at NUI Galway in August 2017. The conference was generously supported by the College of Arts, Social Sciences and Celtic Studies at NUI Galway, the School of Humanities at NUI Galway, the Moore Institute at NUI Galway, the Disciplines of History and English at NUI Galway, the Women's History Association of Ireland and Marsh's Library. As in previous years, the majority of papers were recorded for podcasting by Real Smart Media, in association with UCD's History Hub. There are now more than 180 podcasts from previous Tudor and Stuart Ireland conferences freely available. To access this archive, go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts or visit tudorstuartireland.com. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Dr. Eugene Coyle from the University of Oxford. His paper was entitled Sir William Aston and the Witch of Yall. I want you to listen to a piece. Uh, you can nearly guess it. It's from Macbeth. Um, and it's the famous witch spell speech. The witch's spell. Ah. From Macbeth by William Shakespeare. <coughs> Price the blended cat hath muted. Price and once the hedge be wind. Harvey cries, tis time, tis time. Round about the cauldron go. In the poisoned entrails throw. Toad that under cold stone, days and nights has thirty-one. Swelted venom, sleeping gods, whirled up first to the charmed parts. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Fill it to a fenny snake, in the cauldron boil and bake. Eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog. At his fork and blind worm's sting, lizard's leg and owlet's wing, for a charm of powerful trouble, like a hell broth boil and bubble, double, double toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble, scale of dragon, tooth of wolf, witch's mummy, moor and gulf, of the rabid salt sea shark, root of hemlock digged in the dark, liver of blaspheming Jew, Gall of goat and slips of you, silvered in the moon's eclipse. Nose of Turk and Tata's lips, finger of birth strangled babe, ditch delivered by a drab. Make the gruel thick and slab, add her to a tiger's children, for the ingredients of our cauldron. Double, double toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Cool it with a baboon's blunder. Then the charm is good. Okay, then. Well, the famous, very famous speech from Macbeth. And, of course, Macbeth's... That was a very interesting story, and we'll come to that in a moment, but uh, I just want to give you a little bit of background. Uh, the witch hunts that spread through across Europe between 1450 and 1750 are one of the most controversial and terrifying spectacles in history resulting in the trial of nearly 100,000 people, and there's quite a lot of dispute about those particular numbers. Some people think it's up to half a million, but there's evidence for at least 100,000. Most of them women, and a little of, and a, a little under half were put to death. One of the most active centres of witch hunting was Scotland, where up to 4,000 people were executed by hanging, or were burnt at the stake during the reign of James VI of Scotland. 
James VI had a pathological fear of assassination. His rational, irrational fear of the role of the occult exacerbated the threat and led to the Berwick witch trials of the 1590s, when over 400 men, women and children were executed because, in the name of witchcraft. 1604, obviously in 1603, became James I of England, Scotland and Ireland, and he introduced a new act. One of the very, very first things he did was introduce the, act, the Witchcraft Act of 1604, which was extremely draconian compared with the early Elizabethan and Henry VIII Acts of the 16th century. Defining witchcraft, well, it was always defined as a capital offence if, if death was incurred, and, but he introduced the new idea of high treason against the monarch, against the person of the monarch. In 1606, Shakespeare's play, The Tragedy of Macbeth, in which you have heard the famous spell speech, was commissioned by James I. Uh, not only describes the societally, uh, I beg pardon, societal witch hunt uh, xenophobia, but suggests the dual role of a satanic confederacy in the conspiracy against a monarch. In this short paper, I will give a brief outline of witch trials with very particular reference to Ireland. This is a statistical table put together by a man called Le Fac. He was um, a very well-known historian, particularly on the occult. And it deals with European colonial witchcraft trials and executions between 1590 and 1763. Um, as you can see, if you go down, it covers both the colonial witch trials from the United States, the colony of Connecticut in 1645, and the Salem Witch Trials, of course, the very famous ones of 1692. But uh, if we focus first on... It, the first thing you notice is that it is quite startling. And with an average of 48,000 deaths, again, these figures are very much disputed. Uh, however, 48,000 seems to be a, re a reasonable figure. Um, the uh, executions were carried out by drowning, burning alive, hanging, and even garroting. Of these trials, 80 to 85% were women, and the rest were either men or children. Uh, now we just take us here. England, Scotland, Wales, and Ireland, they are these figures. England gives a listing of about 2,300 trials. Quite well documented in the archives, public records office, uh, and also the number of executions. Um, there's about a 50% acquittal rate, uh, and that could be due to various factors, and I'll talk about that a little later on. Uh, most of them occurred during the First English Civil War and during the Interregnum, and are quite well documented. A couple of interesting facts come up. The last person accused of witchcraft in England was in when? Anybody? 1944. And uh, the person got 18 months for confidence trickster at a seance. The act was finally repealed in 1972 completely and substituted with a brand new act. I think it may have something to do with getting into the EU at the time. 
one of the projects. I'll maybe reintroduce witchcraft all over again. <laughs> Uh, Wales. In Wales, there were only nine legal court cases, roughly, and there was only four known executions. Three women, all sisters, and one man. During, and they all occurred just during one decade of 1690s in one small community close to Chester. Now for Scotland. Now Scotland is really an important one. Uh, the, in the Kingdom of Scotland, there were over 3,500 documented trials during the period. Only one record of witchcraft trial in the Scottish Highlands with the accused acquitted during the period. Now, that's an interesting fact, and just keep it in mind as we go along. Uh, the rest were located in the lowlands and in the border areas. Here the acquittal rate, and I'm referring to the majority of witchcraft trials, acquittal rate was roughly about 50%, with about uh, 14 known executions. 1,400 known executions. All executions were carried out under James' Witchcraft Act of 1604, which was repealed in 1736. Removed, all it did was remove the capital uh, fence part of the rest of the act remained. Uh, death in Scotland was mostly done by multiple hangings and by fire at the stake. Uh, uh, Ireland. Now, Ireland. An interesting case. A very interesting case. Two. And possibly one execution. Just two. Ireland was unique in the terms of witchcraft trials and the executions. It balked the general, the general trend, European trend and the global trend. Uh, the witch hunting mania now called has a brand new name, by the way. It's called Wikophobia. Nothing to do with Wikipedia, but it is Wikophobia. Spread like wildfire in Europe during the early modern period, but not. Ireland seems to have completely unaffected. Between 1607 and 1711, Ireland had only two documented law trials. No matter what you read in the literature, only two of them exist. And um, only one possible execution, but that hasn't been proven. James I, through Sir John Davis, the famous Attorney General, tried to enforce the witchcraft, his Witchcraft Act of 1604, which was applied to both Wales, Scotland and England, but it, the Irish Parliament fought against it and refused to pass it. And the Elizabethan Act remained <coughs> in force in Ireland until 1736. The final, the final Irish, I beg pardon, the Irish, the final witchcraft trial in Ireland occurred at Inish Island McGee near Carrickfergus in County Antrim in 1711. And I'll have a lot to say about that in a few minutes. The, the other thing about the Acts, and I'm fascinated about this, the Elizabethan Act, the Irish Elizabethan Act, was finally repealed and abolished when? I think you may be very, very surprised at this. By Charlie Hockey, Statute of Law Revision Act of 1963. And if you're into pub quizzes, you might be asked, when was the Irish Act of Union dissolved? 1963. Formally dissolved and repealed. So, there you are. This is a bit of, I wouldn't quite say useless information, but interesting information. 
Now, Irish, in Irish uh, witchcraft trials. Now, since most of Europe prosecuted high numbers of witches, why was Ireland so different? Now, this question has come up time and time and time again over the last two decades in particular. Before that, it was buried in folklore, it was got buried in mysticism, occultism, so on and so forth. But it was only seriously looked at during the revision of witchcraft in the English Civil War in the, from the 1970s onwards. Irish leading historians such as Andrew Sneddon and Ray Gillespie and several others have debated this question over the last two decades. No satisfactory answer has emerged, but a few tentative suggestions have been made. Both Catholic natives and Protestant settlers alike shared in the witchcraft beliefs characteristic of the time and in common to most of other, most other European cultures. So, the American historian Elwyn LaPointe suggests that the lack of witchcraft, witch accusations, in order to have a trial you must have an accusation and it must be sworn an oath. So therefore, if a trial wouldn't take place unless you had a number of people making an oath against a certain individual or individuals. Therefore, if no accusations was made, the courts couldn't do anything about it. Um, for, I, and I'll go back over to LaPointe's view. LaPointe La basically said that the Irish Gaelic society after 1649 was in a, a, a sort of they resented English rule and was a form of embryonic national resistance against English rule. Maybe the origins, the origins of proto-nationalism, who knows? A lot of people are saying that Drogheda, under Cromwell, the massacre of Drogheda and in subsequent areas in 1649, may also have been beginnings of Irish nationalism. It's a debatable point. Others suggest that within the Ulster Scots and English Protestant settler communities in common, with the, even with the Gaelic, suppressed Gaelic communities, that witchcraft activities were dealt with in their own local close-knit societies, and the events rarely, if any time, gets to, got to court anyway. So it was dealt by a vigilante group or in some way sorted out. Alternatively, Ronald Hutton suggests that the answer lies in a strong cultural and ethnic belief in witches and fairies. In Celtic Ireland, Scottish Highlands, in Wales, Isle of Man, and all the other Celtic areas. Uh, again, people will debate that. And there's even a fourth one, a sixth one. Uh, the sixth one says that these poor and fortunate, the majority of being women, were herbalists. And they messed around with certain types of hallucinating drugs, which creators' images and give the impression that they were flying about as the usual characteristic of a witch on a broomstick. And uh, again, there's a, there's a school of thought that might support that one. Now, let's go back to what really happened during the 17th century. There were only three cases recorded. Now, three. I said two in the beginning, but I said three now. Uh, the Reverend John Aston sometimes spelt Ashton or Aston, uh, in 1607 at the King's Court 
Assizes in County Loud, Sir John Davis, the Attorney General and Speaker of the Irish House of Commons, heard a case against an Anglican curate called, named Reverend John Aston of Mellifont in County Louth. He was accused under oath by the gentlemen and clergy of Louth of practising malign witchcraft at Mellifont and of being wholly seduced, and I quote, wholly seduced by the devil and other malignant spirits. Aston was prosecuted, really, by, the, by John Davis, not for formally for witchcraft, but for conjuring up spirits to locate stolen goods, to locate buried treasure, and, and I quote, in what region the most wicked traitor, Hugh O'Neill, Earl of Tri Tyrone, was to be located. After a two-day hearing, Aston was sentenced, manacled, and made prisoner at Dublin Castle by warrant of the Lord King James I, who wanted to interview him personally. The warrant stated that Aston was to be sent to England for further investigation by the King. We just don't know what happened. Uh, his fate was completely unrecorded. The second one, as you can see on the screen, is Florence Newton, which I will deal with in quite a long, lengthy, not a, a detailed structure at, towards the end of this lecture. This was one of the most important examples, if not the only examples, of an Irish witch trial. Very, very similar to witch trials well documented in England or in Scotland. Uh, now I go on to the uh, last one there on the, on the screen, which is slightly outside the 17th century, the Island McGee case. In 1711, eight women from the remote parish of Island McGee, which is very close to Carrickfergus, were convicted of witchcraft, pilloried, and jailed in Carrickfergus jail for a year. The accused were charged of causing demonic possession of an 18-year-old girl, Mary Dunbar. In a recent book, Dr. Andrew Snedden from Queen's claims that Dunbar concocted and created the whole story based on the Salem, Salem witch trials, because it was very popular in the popular press at the time. Any official records of either Mary Dunbar or in the unfortunate Reverend John Aston were unfortunately destroyed, or so it is said, in the Four Courts Fire of 1922. The records of the Yall trial by Sir William Aston, however, survived in the Robert Boyle, the famous PV, or T, man, uh, collection in, at the Royal Society in London, and the manuscripts are still intact. Now, I'll just give you a look at it. Some of them are a bit grim, I think it's that in the beginning. Uh, ducking test, the first on the left. Which dunking, it's called. Uh, there are no favourable results in this test that was used extensively in England and Scotland. Obviously never used in Ireland, but uh, I don't know, maybe you do, I don't. Um, uh, and it was particularly used during the Pendle Witch Trials of 1612. The was bound at the hands and feet in heavy rocks, attached to heavy rocks, and then thrown into the water. Float, you're guilty. Drowned, you're innocent. So the outcome was the same in both cases. <laughs> and you were pulled out with apologies. <laughs> 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 and they well be, yeah. 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 
the, however, the threat of dunking uh, was used to extract any false confession of guilt. It was extensively used in the famous Pendle witch trials of, of 1612 and again at Salem in Massachusetts in 1692. The illustration is from a pamphlet called The Wonderful Discovery of Witches in the County of Lancaster uh, in 1613. Number two, witch pressing at Salem, 1692. This was a very nasty form of it. Uh, this is sometimes called, French had a name for it, pianoforte et dure. The crushing by heavy weights, the person is laid out on a flat slab and heavy stones are placed on top of the individual. Of course, he's strapped, they're strapped down. Uh, one known case has happened in Salem, but it did happen elsewhere. An 80-year-old man named Giles Corey of Salem, accused of being a warlock, was crushed to death, refused to leave. There was a very, something very similar like that used in England during the uh, Tudor period, during the Elizabethan period, um, in, in which... Something very similar to the rack was used, except that you didn't have the pulleys at the end. You had another board, flat board on top, and weights were lowered on top of it. You just didn't survive. Now, the third one, which is one, one used nearly continuously as a sort of per, per, a, a way to investigate witches. This is what the judge would, it, would insist upon, the Lord's Prayer. But it had to be the Lord's Prayer, from um, uh, the Lord's Prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. It had got to be word perfect. And uh, it was used universally throughout the 17th century. Recite the Lord's Prayer from the Common Prayer, Common Book of Common Prayer without hesitation, stumbling, or skipping any of the words. Look at it. Uh, belief. The basic belief was, of course, that Satan's familiars would not allow which to recite verbatim the Lord's Prayer. And if they couldn't do it, hard cheese, you're, you're, you're really in for it. Now, also in court, legal textbooks were used quite extensively. Um, the, one of them was Matthew Hopkins' this Discovery of Witches, published in 1649. And the frontispiece is here. This is it here. And it shows the tests that a judge or a court should have to carry out on a, an accused witch uh, sh uh, asking for evidence of uh, familiars, such as teeth marks and so on. Um, other text was used was uh, Richard Scott's Discovery of Witches in 1584, <coughs> which is the same name as Hopkins, but it was a near, much earlier book, and even Kramer's Malus Ma Maleficarum, I think that's right. Uh, expert witnesses were called up, such as sometimes if there was an expert witness. An expert witness was uh, 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 usually a charlatan, but there was one very, very famous man during the 17th century, and that's Valentine Greatrakes, an Irishman. And he, was, he described himself as a witch catcher and fate healer. And he claimed that he could cure people by laying on hands and uh, could cure a person of witchcraft if, uh, by reciting certain prayers and so on and so forth. The interesting thing about this particular um, uh, individual 
was that he was first used as a witch catcher in the Florence Newton trial. Now, uh, next. Right. Execution of witches during the early modern period. And we're talking now about the execution rather than the, well, they're probably much the same. Now, the first one is Chelmsford, 1645. This man, Matthew Hopkins, the famous witch finder general. He created that title for himself. Parliament got very upset when they, when they found out they were using him, using that, and they dissolved. They said he, he doesn't exist. He's, he was an illegal magistrate, Ill, mostly illiterate and self-taught, and he went around the, the east counties of England uh, saying that he was a judge who came out to find witches and that he would judge them. Uh, he crea- he killed over three, he executed over 300 people in the space of about <coughs> two or three months. Uh, most of them were women. And um, so, in Chelmsford and Essex, his most feared that he hung 200 women convicted of witchcraft in 1645 during a period of one month from one particular area, 200. And he, went, he, he delighted in multiple witch hanging, and that is, for example, a case in point. Uh, Essex and East Anglia. The Dunking Stool, now very, very similar to the previous one. Uh, <coughs> the, this was a permanent thing. This was what Dunking Stool apparatus used in butter, a stone stool, stone chair, lowered into the water in the same place. Now, the uh, next two are burning of a man who was charged with witchcraft in the Basque region of 1568. He was supposed to um, be involved in a coven of witches, and uh, you get this situation here. And the final one, a very well-documented situation, with the famed Dame Kittler, Kilkenny Cathedral, burning at the stake just outside the cathedral itself, much earlier in 1324. Um, I'm just going to finish very quickly on um, the actual Newton trial, if I may. The next slide is Florence Newton. And I wanted, it's a very well-known story. Um, it involves events in Yall in Andon County, Cork City, during December of 1660, and during the spring of 1661. Story very, very well known. Florence Newton, 1661, was an alleged Irish witch and was generally known as the Witch of Yaw. The case against Newton is described in one of the most important examples of which Irish witchcraft trials, displaying similarities to witch trials in England and in Scotland. Very, very briefly, I'll go over this. Yall in many ways resembled Ulster, an Ulster plantation town with nearly 90% Anglican of, of Anglican English extraction. <coughs> Richard Boyle, the local um, uh, landowner, huge landowner, had instructed the mayor of Yall, John Payne, to clear the town of Catholics to outside the wall so he wouldn't allow any papists to live within the wall itself, inside the town itself. John Payne was a Puritan, very severe Puritan, who employed servants, all Protestants, including a kitchen maid called Mary Langdon. In November, 19, in November 1660, Florence Newton, a vagrant gypsy and widow woman, begged for food around the town. Newton saw Langdon putting food out for pigs, including rotting meat. She refused, she was refused, Newton was refused the pig's food, 
So she cursed Langdon and gave her the accursed eye and shuffled away. Langdon fell ill and started to suffer from hallucinations. She told John Payne, who issued the warrant for Newton's arrest and imprisonment in March 1661. Yall Jail was located in Payne's in the Payne's clock tower, and her jailer was a man called who was distant related to the uh, kitchen maid, a man called David Jones, who began to investigate her in some of the procedures which are not so pleasant. Newton pleaded for mercy, but Jones persisted, and Newton cursed him and kissed his hand. The alleged curse was that Jones would be dead before Michaelmas, and within a few few days he developed a fever and died. Payne then transferred Newton to Cork Tower on Spike Island. Now, Sir William Aston, I only came across anything to witchcraft with Sir William, because I was studying Sir William, the Aston family. Sir William Aston, the newly appointed Chief Justice, instructed Richard Boyle, who was then was instructed by Richard Boyle, Privy Councillor and Lord Treasurer, Morris Eustace, Lord Chancellor, to instantly travel to Yall to hear the trial, which is a very unusual thing to do. Expert witness Valentine Greatrakes, also known as the Stroker, was an Irish faith healer and witch catcher, claiming to cure people by laying on hands. Greatrakes, Greatrakes, lifetime reputation depended on the outcome of this trial. He was a very close friend of Richard Boyle. He actually served with him during the Confederacy Wars and he was introduced and Great Rakes was introduced to Robert Boyle. After the trial, Robert Boyle was studying alchemy at the time and Sir William Aston gave him his case notes and that's why they survived. And witness were uh, and quite a long detailed record in Samer's John Samer's uh, Sinjin John Samer's um, accounts of the witchcraft trial in 1661 Henry Moore then published it in 1881 sorry 1681 and used Aston notes on the Yall case these case notes were found in his manuscripts now held at the Royal Society in London <coughs> Some of the witness accounts were recorded in a pamphlet published by Richard Boyle in in 1666, World Diary 26, Accounts of Witchcraft and Other Cures Performed by Valentine Great Rakes, British Library, if anybody's interested in particular uh, reference, it's there. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you you for listening to this Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference podcast. If you would like to access the archive of more than 180 podcasts from previous Tudor and Stuart Ireland conferences, please go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts. All podcasts are freely available on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on the annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference, visit the conference website at tudorstuartireland.com.